three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Over the Edge episode four. My name is Luke Erickson, your host of the Over the Edge podcast. And before we get into today's topic, I would first like to say that I really appreciate your guys' feedback on the podcast and on past episodes. Obviously, we're still not perfect here and you guys are really helping me continue to find things that I can work on episode to episode. A few couple of disclaimers, this episode is being re-released with an added interview from our sponsor, Decent Healthcare. Uh, you'll hear that right away. We are going to be taking a look at healthcare today, obviously, and we will be looking at Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, Medicare for All, and also taking a look at what other nations are using and what's working for them. As always, all articles or facts that I talk about in this episode can be found in the description, as well as the link to Decent.com, uh, our sponsor today. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Hello and welcome back to Over the Edge. I have with me our uh, sponsor today and our first guest. Uh, this is Marshall from Decent Healthcare. Marshall, we're talking about healthcare today. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your company? Yeah, definitely. Um, so my name is Marshall, as we, as we <laughs> mentioned. Um, I work at a company called Decent. Um, we're new out of Austin, Texas, um, and we're basically a private option for uh, individuals purchasing their own insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, we just specifically built out the custom plan for self-employed people um, where if you don't qualify for subsidies, our premiums can be up to 40% uh, below the rates you would get on the ACA. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, what we've managed to do essentially is to build uh, build an insurance company specifically for self-employed people. Yeah. And these people have always viewed younger and healthier than the general population. Mm -hmm. So if they were a big company, they could just get group underwriting and rates reflective of that. Uh, but no one's been able to aggregate them before. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we're taking a shot at that. Okay, very cool. So you said like people who don't qualify for subsidies, obviously the, the intention of the Affordable Care Act was to make health care affordable for everyone. So how does, I guess, Decent do that more so than the Affordable Care Act? Or how are you able to do the forty up to 40%? Yeah, um, well, so a, a lot of it is like the Affordable Care Act is, is really aimed at the general population. Um, even, even in some extent, um, the breakdown of people who enroll through the exchanges um, tend to have a, a bit worse than the average health profile. Okay. Um, so <laughs> essentially in this private option, it, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit cheaper for us to insure people because the people signing up are healthier. We're also like having built out a, a health insurance company in 2019. Mm -hmm. We're a lot more efficient than some of our other competitors who have yeah, that basically like these huge departments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we we get to it from a lot of different angles, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really it, it's super exciting. Like our 2020 rates actually went down from our 2019 rates. Oh wow, that's uh, incredible! Real Congrats. Good. Yeah, so um, it's all it's all working. Yeah. Uh, so as far as, so it's cheaper. Is it offering the same? I guess things that you would find with like. The Affordable Care Act, like, are you guys non-discriminatory non towards, like, pre-existing conditions and stuff like that? Yeah. So, um, we, we kind of, we, um, went into this 
um, basically with the intent of building a health insurance company as like, you know, uh, as like one would want to if you were starting over from scratch. Yeah. And there are a lot of parts of the ACA that, that were huge positive steps towards um, the guaranteed issue, yeah. um, things like things like emergency coverage out of network. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all of these are things that we've lumped into our plan. And we've um, so basically the plans we offer are ACA compliant, which means they could be on the exchanges. We've elected not to list them there. Yeah. Um, in part because we get a bit more flexibility with stuff like year-round open enrollment, which we're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very, very cool. So what I, you mentioned when we were talking earlier about some perverse incentives that are within the healthcare system right now that are maybe keeping it from being a perfect system, you know. So would you like to touch yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, and this is actually something uh, that we, we've done our best to avoid in what we've built so far. Um, but for most uh, – this came in with the ACA, and for most um, health insurance companies, are governed by something called the medical loss ratio, yeah. which means that um, for you know all the premiums they take in, they have to spend about 85% of that money on care, yeah. uh, and they get 15% for operating costs and profit, which sounds great, but in reality, uh, the implications of that are closely to what happens with rent control. Um, where it's instrumented and all of a sudden uh, we see these prices creep up. Basically, if you tell people that uh, um, there's no reward for making their system more efficient, and um, essentially there's there's not a lot of these health insurance companies out there, and they have major say in the year-over-year pricing of different um, procedures. So the quickest way to, you know, grow your 15% is if the, the 100% total raises in price. Gotcha. And so um, we we function much closer to kind of a co-op, whereas, like, you know, everybody puts money in the center. When people get sick, we take it out to pay for them. Uh, and then with any surplus, we can redistribute in, in the ways of, like, rewards for healthy behavior and things like that. So okay. Okay. Um, our model is actually much more incentivized to keep people healthy um, than some of the large insurers. Yeah. I know that was definitely one of the original intentions with the ACA was to like de-incentivize, you know, like for-profit healthcare, for-profit hospitals for that case. Um, Mm. And I know that's something that has kind of been somewhat of a struggle. So as far as like these premiums increasing, is that more so the health insurance companies that are struggling to make ends meet or the hospitals struggling with that as well? Well, um, hospitals have actually been um, struggling a lot lately. Um, insurance plans um, tend to post pretty um, pretty reliable profits, um, just in part because of you know how big they are and how entrenched they are. Yeah. Um, but but it, it kind of squeezes people both ways. Basically, um, the way the this medical loss ratio kind of plays out is every year they have to post their projected um, uh, losses. Uh, And then during during the year, they they try their very best to deny whatever claims possible um, in order to ensure that like they remain with a a, a functional, uh, functional margin. Um, But then 
uh, at the end of the year when it comes to negotiating uh, the next year's prices, uh, they're really incentivized for those prices to go up uh, because yeah. that gives them more moving forwards. And when you uh, when you look at how few competing options there are, uh, that means consumers don't really have a choice but to agree with them. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Health insurance. Health insurance really isn't an optional thing. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're if you're going to be alive in America, you kind of need health insurance. Yeah. Um, and for it to not be treated as the kind of like utility I believe it is, um, mm-hmm. causes a lot of um, just structural market issues. Yeah. No, I definitely agree, and I've definitely seen a lot of statistics, and it's a astounding percent of the population is like one big medical bill, you know, away from being bankrupt. Uh-huh. And that's that's a scary yeah. thought, you know, because we have what twenty, twenty seven million people or twenty eight million people that are uninsured in, in America right now. So you know, yeah, one car accident, yeah. one broken leg, one whatever away from being kind of screwed. Yeah, and a surprising amount of of those people are actually on the higher earning end of the spectrum. Really, um, in particular, when you look at, at like the self-employed distribution, yeah. um, because when the exchanges went into effect, um, basically people who were making below the medium average income threshold mm-hmm. got access to all sorts of subsidies. That was a bit offset on the people who could afford more. Yeah. Um, so when these exchanges went into place, a lot of the higher earning people who don't receive health insurance through their employers um, saw their premiums double and triple. Um, and, oh, wow. uh, you know, for, for a lot of these like younger people, um, they like, it's a risk calculation and they like, I'm not sure, you know, that security is worth what I'm paying in premiums. Yeah. So they, there's, uh, we bumped into, uh, I think, a lot more apathy than we were initially expecting. When it, it just a lot of people feel like health insurance has disappointed them for so long, is it even worth paying for? Yeah. So going forward, then, or come twenty twenty, obviously, this is the the topic of the podcast we were talking about. Is you know the candidates kind of going in and their proposed health care plans, the Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. versus Medicare for all. Do you think? that the problems within the ACA right now can be fixed? Let's say if Biden gets elected, can it be improved upon? Or do you think a new plan is uh, to be called for, I guess? Well, I I think it can always be improved upon. And I, I think it, it, it was a lot of like structural positive steps forward. Um, like the, the whole concept of um, having to medically qualify for insurance just feels wrong. Yeah. Um, and like, Having having your rates set based on pre-existing conditions yield wrong. Um, I think we took a lot of positive steps in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now in America, part of the problem is we're about like uh, we're we're much further along towards universal healthcare than a lot of people like to say. Yeah. With things like Medicare, Medicaid, um, we're we're about like you know forty to sixty percent of the way there already. And we managed to stop that process in what I feel like is one of the most expensive parts where parts of the market are private, but they're publicly subsidized if they get too expensive. So it's like, yeah. why not become too expensive? It's, like um, a, it's kind of a balancing act that the government's trying to play right now. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's pretty obvious it's not working. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I Like, not to pitch against myself, but like uh, the 
goal at Decent uh, was never to become a big health insurance company. It's to solve health insurance. Yeah. Um, and and I think, honestly, the fastest way there probably is um, this universal option. Yeah. And th- there there will always still be private market options. You look anywhere in Europe with a, a public option in there. Yeah. There are private ones and supplemental plans as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if uh, if that doesn't get us all the way there, there will be a reason for us to still be here. And if it does, you know, it's kind of a win too. Yeah. No, I definitely understand that. I, I That's, I think, very honorable that you guys are doing that because even like taking a look at pet presidential candidates, even people who maybe knew going in that they weren't going to even come close to becoming president, you know, just either mm-hmm. harped on uh, – policies for health insurance or harped on climate change and you know even Mm -hmm. though they are either dropped out or very low polling percentage right now they got their word out there you know it got mainstream media coverage so i think there's definitely something to be said about you know getting a message out there even though it might not end up your company i guess might not end up being the biggest you know health insurance company in the world yeah it's really more about fixing the problem, and health insurance is one of the biggest problems in America today. Yeah, yeah it's, for sure. it's most people's it's most people's second largest monthly expenditure. Really, even okay. if they're even if they're perfectly healthy, it goes yeah. rent and health insurance. Wow. Um, so, you know, um, we're we're doing what we can to make it even a little bit better um, with a group that's really not had a lot of options before. Yeah. Uh, so we we started in Austin, Texas. Um, we're expanding quickly, uh, but this is our first open enrollment period. And yeah. even though we do year-round enrollment, uh, we're, like most everyone at this point is kind of still in that mode of you look at health insurance between November 1st and December 15th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, let's see. What else do we have on here? I had one question and I just blanked on it now. Um, so, so you were saying, yeah, you were saying that medic, the Medicare for all option is something that you could see, you know, working. How do you, what are your thoughts on, I guess the price tag of it? Some estimates go all the way up to like $30 trillion. Lower end is like 20 trillion, like with the national Mm -hmm. budget at about, I believe five or $4.4 trillion. What are your, I guess, thoughts? I know Bernie Sanders has proposed a lot of tax increases. Do you think that's the way to go? Or do you think, uh, cutting different government spending is a better option, I guess. Yeah, that's uh, that's really a tough question because in my mind it feels like it feels like something we're eventually going to have to find an option for because it's pretty obvious that the average person can't afford this anymore. Yeah. And then it's not it, it's not optional for the way of life of the average individual. Mm-hmm. Um with medical bills being the leading cause of bankruptcy in the US, it's um it, it's it's something that um you know if if we can't find the money nationally how are we going to find the money individually yeah exactly that's that's definitely a good point so would you say so i i brought up the 28 million number earlier and you kind of mentioned that people aren't necessarily looking for enrollment year round so would you say that number even maybe it stays the same but it fluctuates as far as like the people who are in that area like families maybe have months without health insurance and months with it? Yeah, well, it, it's it's interesting. Um, most all of health insurance in the U.S. still is done through employer-sponsored plans, um, yeah. which, is, which is something that um, 
like the ACA gets a lot of attention and focus, but it's really a drop in the bucket when you look at uh, employer-sponsored plans, and mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that's a bit less seasonal just because people start and stop jobs yeah. all over. Um, but yeah, the the whole concept of um, I, like in my mind, uh, that's really become a limiting factor for a lot of people who would go into business for themselves or would, who would um, begin um, working independently uh, because all of a sudden you have to pick up this massive bill that before your employer was being heavily subsidized for contributing to. Yeah, okay. So here, and now here's a kind of a bigger question, something I think we can expand on a little bit. A big part of my audience, I know, is people that are in college, you know, or finishing up college. What do you think is important for them to look at and learn about, you know, going into, I, I shouldn't say the real world. College is, is definitely, mm-hmm. you're, you're adulting, but, you know, when you're when you're starting to, you know, get a home or renting and you're starting to pay your own insurance mm-hmm. coming off your parents' plan, what should, I guess, students yeah. consider or look at? Yeah, well, it's tough because I've seen it time and time again where uh, people don't see the value of health insurance until they have their first major accident yeah. and their first major out-of-pocket payment uh, mm-hmm. because of it. Um, there there are um, affordable options for younger people, um, especially you know, if you're going and purchasing your own plans uh, earlier on, yeah. I, the, the ACA is a great first option to check there to see if you get subsidies. Mm-hmm. That That's always something. There are more options even outside of that. There are short-term medical plans, which um, younger people are typically more healthy. They can qualify for. Um, there are even health-sharing ministries, which, you know, have their pros and cons. But um, at the end of the day, any any sort of additional buffer that um, is actually affordable, I'm, I'm kind of pro. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, what was the one it. I didn't reckon? Did you say health, health ministries? Health sharing ministries. Uh, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of those where um, functionally it, they kind of um, work a bit as like a, a co-op with certain religiously leaning uh, attached um, qualifiers. Okay. So essentially, they kind of popped up. I believe it was around when the ACA went into effect. Okay. Um, due to uh, lots of conservatives not feeling comfortable with uh, medical coverage that gave anything to abortion. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Hey, this is something I like. Yeah, sixty percent. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That that makes sense. Yeah, but um, so they legally they can't call themselves insurance um, because they're not obligated to pay out on things that don't agree with their certain moral stipulations. Um, There's a few of them that that are great that have never missed a, a claim, never done anything, but. But functionally, there's a lot less guarantees yeah. um, in that. And most also come with a cap on coverage um, where, you know, for a certain amount, you're only insured um, until your first couple hundred thousand dollars of needed care. Okay. And then after that, you're kind of on your own. So would you, uh, you said the ACA obviously was a good option as well as some of these these other ones. Would you recommend, obviously, 
it's I think you're you said decent is more catered towards self employed or small businesses, correct? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it is it something uh, that I guess individuals should look at as well or to get information on healthcare in general, I guess? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um we have a lot of information up on our website and if you're in Austin, Texas and you qualify, uh I, I truly do believe um this is the best uh, per dollar option really in nice. the market. Um so I'd recommend checking it out. It is open enrollment, so you know, weigh that against um what you might be able to qualify at healthcare.gov. Okay. Um and and you know, we are a private option, so you can only sign up at decent.com. Gotcha. Um but but um yeah, we're we're working on solving a big problem and I think, you know, we're we've made a ton of positive steps but we're gonna keep improving and I think we've shown that with being able to drop our premiums year over year and our whole north star is how do we make uh high quality insurance affordable well yeah well uh marshall thanks for coming on i think we had a really productive conversation you said decent.com right to find you guys yeah d-e-c-e-n-t.com yeah i'd encourage everyone to go check that out obviously the the motto of this podcast is to seek to understand and especially for you college students if you're not sure about health insurance and you want to learn about it, obviously there's a lot of information in here, but looking at some of these private options is also a good idea as well. So, uh, Marshall, is there anything else you'd like to say or talk about before we, uh, before we get out of here? No, I'm um, just, if you have any questions, hop on to the site. We, um, we have a, a customer service team out here in Austin and, oh, great. you know, I, I'd love them to be a resource too, even if you have questions that aren't really, related to what we're doing specifically this stuff's complicated um yeah I, it's, de- it's the, definitely not an e- not an easy one the only last thing i can kind of plug in is like um people don't talk a lot about health insurance brokers anymore but there's still a super valid option to help figure out uh, what kind of plan is best for you yeah and a hundred percent of their compensation comes from the carrier so You'll never pay more for your health insurance if you use a broker. Gotcha. Um, and I wouldn't be afraid to, you know, ask around. Um, odds are you know one already. Gotcha. So, so again, for for people who may not know what that is, where could they find a health insurance broker, and what should they, when should they look for that? I guess. Um, you can just look them up. Uh, I mean, honestly, Yelp is a pretty good resource for them, but. Uh, most are local. Um, there's a few bigger ones, um, but you can just reach out any time of year. And um, you know, if if it's not a great time of year for the ACA, they'll typically help you navigate that. So you're yeah. something else out. Yeah. Well, such such an important topic, guys. Obviously, it's it's not the most exciting, and maybe you know, not the most heated political topic. But really, it's really going to be a big part of your life come the future if it's not already. Um, so yeah, check mm-hmm. out decent.com for some more information on decent healthcare. Marshall, thanks for coming on. It was a great interview, man. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And welcome back. First thing we're going to be looking at today is Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. And the first thing I would just like to say is to get rid of maybe a misconception that Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act are two different things or two separate things. They are not. After the 2016 election, or I should say during the 2016 election, you would have heard Obamacare used very frequently 
But after Trump took office, there were very slight changes made, I should say. But Obamacare then became the Affordable Care Act. And most of the policies and implications that come with it stayed the same. So that being said, we're going to be taking a look at the Affordable Care Act and how it benefits America and some of the implications with it. So the act's primary focus when it was created was to reduce the increase in cost of health care. Obviously, over time, with inflation and some other factors, healthcare is going to be increasing, or the price of healthcare will be increasing gradually. The problem before was that it wasn't increasing gradually, and it was more increasing exponentially. So there was a problem. They came up with a possible solution with it, and that was the Affordable Care Act. And now some more of the implications that came along with that, some of the other things they added to it, was before the ACA, insurance companies could exclude people with pre-existing conditions. This was a big topic of debate during the 2016 election. As a result, people with the greatest health expenses had to go without insurance. They couldn't afford treatment, and they often ended up in hospital emergency rooms with their diseases becoming life-threatening. Obviously, that's not the best. So with the Affordable Care Act, what they did is to make sure that companies could afford these ill patients. And Obamacare, or the Affordable Care Act, promised they would receive many health patients. And it did this by requiring everyone to have health insurance for at least nine months out of the 12 or be subject to a tax. And the third main component of the Affordable Care Act was that the federal subsidies were put in place to help everyone afford required insurance. Insurance. I apologize. And now let's get into some of the effects. The first one is that all medical records now must be recorded electronically instead of on paper. Having worked in the health industry a little bit, I know this was very difficult for a lot of hospitals to carry out considering they had been doing paper records for, well, forever. But from my understanding now, not only does it make it easier for patients and doctors to get information between hospitals, but like what I'm working on in research, it makes it a lot, lot easier to get patient records into research studies to help benefit society. So the second is that Medicare pays hospitals based on how well you get instead of how many tests and procedures doctors prescribe. Obviously, America isn't like parts of Europe that totally ban for-profit hospitals, but I think this was put in place so that Medicare obviously pays hospitals based on how well you get, kind of de-incentivizes the for-profit hospitals. Thirdly, all plans must provide 10 essential health benefits. You can find those in the description. I'm not going to go over all 10 of those. Next, plans can no longer exclude those with pre-existing conditions, as mentioned earlier. Companies can no longer drop those who get sick. So this is slightly different, not necessarily a pre-existing condition, but let's say someone were to be diagnosed with a severe form of cancer. Their health insurance can't drop them because of that. Another effect is that parents can add their children up to the age of 26 onto their plans. I'm not sure, I guess, the implications of that, whether it's good or bad, but that's what it is. Also gets rid of lifetime limits and annual limits. We're both eliminated. And what this means is, let's take the severe cancer patient again. If they're in the hospital all the time and they ex were to exceed the number of visits before, they weren't able to get dropped, and the same goes for the lifetime. If they're in the hospital a lot, they can't get dropped by their insurance carrier. Number nine is immigrants in the United States illegally
cannot receive Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, but the ACA does expand community health clinics to serve them. And you may ask, why do we do this? Or why did they do this? And this was to help influence preventative care for chronic illnesses. So although they may not be receiving all the benefits from having this health insurance, it does prevent chronic illnesses from spreading to maybe people that do have those and keeps the American population as a whole healthier. Finally, this is kind of the bottom line, from 2010 to 2017, the ACA reduced healthcare spending by a total of $2.3 trillion, which is pretty impressive. And the total healthcare spending in the United States reached $3.5 billion. So that's the amount of money that the average or what the American is spending. That being said, we're now going to move into our next section, and that is Medicare for All. So the ACA, this is what Biden is running on, just to pick one of the big candidates. And Medicare for All, this is what you are going to see Elizabeth Warren as well as Bernie Sanders both proposing. Whether or not their looks on Medicare for All are the exact same can't be said. There are different variations of Medicare for All, but the overarching goal of it is the same. The first thing I'm going to address with Medicare for All, and I'm going to try to do this as unbiased as I possibly can, is taking a look at the cost of it. If you've listened to some of the Democratic debates, you'll definitely see that the main thing that Medicare for All is attacked for is the price tag on it. And obviously with a higher price, you do get a lot of good benefits with that. But there is, I would say, comes a point where it could become too expensive. So I'll give you the facts, and you can, I guess, come to that determination on your own. So right now for the, I believe this was for the 2018 fiscal year for the United States, the national budget was $4.4 trillion. And this is for everything, military, health insurance, veterans, whatever, everything that the uh, United States buys or pays for. And while we are not aware of the exact estimates of the particular proposals of the candidates, Similar proposals have been estimated to cost the federal government roughly 28 to 32 trillion over one decade, so over 10 years. So that's, you know, give or take 3 trillion a year. So the national budget is 4.4 trillion. This would cost around 3 trillion a year if you were to average it out. Higher estimates do go around 36 trillion, but I from my research the most accurate ones were between 28 and 32. While the campaign estimated for Bernie Sanders that the plan would cost the federal government about $14 trillion over a decade. Like I said, most of the research that I found that uh, it would cost at least twice that, if not more. But one thing that I will give Sanders props for is that he does, or he has at least started a plan to kind of figure out how to pay for this. Sanders' campaign plan includes roughly $11 trillion of tax increases, uh, which could fund more than one-third of the Medicare for all if it uh, does go the way, or I should say the price um, that is estimated. And now some of the effects, or what what do we get if we're spending all this money, I guess. Medicare for all would include no deductibles and no co-payments. It would not restrict beneficiaries to networks of care and would offer a broad suite of benefits, including dental care, vision care, transportation for the disabled, and low-income patients, uh, certain dietary and nutritional care, which I think is very interesting, long-term care, and other long-term services and support. 
one thing I will comment on it, and this isn't biased towards either the Affordable Care Act or Medicare for All, nothing about mental health. Personally, I think this is a big issue when you're looking at both gun control and uh, just wellness overall, but I'm going to stay away from that right now, um, but that's just kind of my take on that. And so you may be asking, why Why do we need all this? Why Obviously, it has a lot of great benefits, but why do we need it? The answer to that, that people will give, and even people who are against it will, I think, acknowledge at least, is that there are estimated 27.5 million people in the United States that are uninsured right now. Obviously, that's a high number, under little under 10% of the United States population, but still a large number, and I would say definitely a topic or a good debate point for wanting Medicare for all. I hope you guys enjoyed those two, looking at uh, what the Democratic candidates are running on right now. We're going to switch over now, different, different continent, different continents, I should say, different countries. We're going to be taking a look at other nations' healthcare, um, specifically the two that are rated highest for their healthcare, and that is France and Japan. So starting off with France, they have a similar to a Medicare for all, but there are some differences for it. They do have co-payments and deductibles, but they are very, very small. And so the French healthcare system is funded in part by obligatory health contributions levied on all salaries. So this is paid employees, employers, the self-employed. This is also paid in part by central government funding and in part by users who normally have to pay a small fraction of the costs of most acts of healthcare. In most cases, patients have to pay a flat fee for any visit to a general practitioner. So if you go into the hospital, cost in 2019 is 25 euros per visit. In perspective of the time taken, but is higher for visits to surgeries open at night or at the weekends and for home visits as well. The pretty much what that's saying is the price can fluctuate, but most of the cost will then be automatically reimbursed to the patient by his state-run health insurance provider, leaving the patient with between zero and six euros to pay for a standard trip to the doctor, depending on the type of health care insurance he has and the age or medical condition of the patient. So it's different from Medicare for All in the fact that it's not just one insurance that everyone has. As it mentions, there are different insurance providers, but they all follow these common rules. And sorry, that is one thing I should have mentioned about Medicare for All earlier, is that it will eliminate all private health insurance. So you will not be able to have private health insurance. I would be interested to see what that does for, I guess, health insurance in general. Obviously, there's billions and billions of dollars that are being made and distributed through that. So I don't know how that all goes down. So, and then the third part of it is that government and private emergency services are provided so in each large town or big cities, there is a government-run, let's say, ambulance. And if there are large accidents or something like that, they will go there and that will be taken care of. There are also private emergency services for smaller things, but I thought that was just an interesting fact about that as well. Okay, now that we have covered France, we're moving on to our second and final nation that we're going to be looking at for healthcare, and that is Japan. So Japan has a few kind of interesting parts to their health insurance and so the first part of it is a statutory health insurance which applies to everyone who is employed full-time with a medium or large company 
what happens with that is approximately 5% of salaries are deducted from the employees to pay for the statutory health insurance. And that cost is also matched by the employers, which I think is pretty interesting. And everyone who doesn't qualify under the statutory health insurance is covered through the National Health Insurance, or NHI. And this includes self-employed people, such as digital nomads or just an entrepreneur, I guess. And it also extends to those who work in small businesses and or are unemployed. And how much the national health insurance you pay is based on your income. In general, the government will pay for 70% of health care costs associated with medical appointments, hospital visits, and even prescriptions, which I thought was interesting and something that's slightly different from France. Patients pay for the remaining 30% of the cost. However, based on your income levels, this ratio may change in favor of the patient. So if you are more low income, um, it's likely that the government will pick up a larger percentage of this. And by law, Japanese hospitals are a nonprofit. So as I mentioned earlier, for-profit hospitals in America, I think that kind of makes it sound very evil, and it's not not that bad. But the Japanese hospitals are nonprofit by law. Governing and administrative decisions are made by physicians, and clinics must be owned and operated by physicians. So you can't have companies that own these large hospitals or have a collection of hospitals, I guess. As you can see, like Health Partners has several hospitals. So while physical health care standards are superb, Japan is not as progressive in terms of mental health care, and this is something that's very similar to the United States. Practices like isolation or restraints long discounted are long discounted as primary treatment tools in other countries and are relatively common in Japan. Assessing mental health treatment remains stigmatized, particularly among women in Japan. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying before. I believe across the board, across all these nations, a big, big thing that needs to be looked into and maybe just covered by health insurance is mental health. I think it's a huge problem in the United States especially, and that's just that's just my take on it. So my question for you guys listening at home, since I don't have interviewees for this episode is what healthcare plan are you most in favor for and why and do you think a 28 billion dollar plan is doable and is it worth it based off what i've told you i encourage you to do some more research on this if this doesn't really answer all the questions you have but yeah that's it we went over obamacare affordable care act same thing medicare for all and then uh some other nations healthcare systems we have a lot a lot of sources for you guys so I really hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Over the Edge, where we talked about healthcare. Hope you guys enjoyed the segment from our sponsor, Deezen Healthcare. It was a really great interview. I really enjoyed having him on. Wherever you guys are listening, be sure to follow the podcast. We have such an amazing schedule coming up. I want you guys all to stay tuned and also check out our Instagram at the OTE podcast so you can keep up to date on what's going on. As always, have a good rest of your day and go Utes.
Thank you.